Hello and welcome to Bookmarked, where you can take a pause and dive into the wide world of literature. Now, before we get started, just want to let y'all know that this episode may contain spoilers, so please listen at your own risk. And the views expressed in this podcast are the views of the participants and are not shared by the Benton School District. So we've got another first chapter Friday for this episode. I'll be reading the first chapter from the book Fire from the Rock by Sharon M. Draper. And it, the Fire from the Rock is based loosely on the events of Central High School from Little Rock, Arkansas during the Civil Rights Movement during the 1950s. And so it's Sylvia Patterson is looking forward to going to high school and enjoying the more adult responsibilities that come with that, you know, clubs, football games, dances, all that good stuff. And things are kind of crazy for her right now because it's the middle of the civil rights movement and schools have just been ordered to integrate. So, and one of Sylvia's teachers asks her to be one of the first students to go, one of the first black students to go to Central High School. And Sylvia, on one hand, wants to be a force for change and to kind of break the status quo, I guess. But she's also, she knows that if she goes, she will face discrimination and hate and potential bodily harm. So she's also a little afraid to. That's kind of her story. So this is the first chapter from Fire from the Rock by Sharon M. Draper. Help! Mama, come quick! Donna Jean's been bit by a dog! 15-year-old Sylvia Patterson screamed as she burst through the front door. Her hat had fallen off. She'd lost a snow boot someplace back on the sidewalk, and her breath escaped in short, harsh gasps. Sylvia had never been so scared in her life. Her Aunt Bessie hurried up the steps behind her, struggling with the weight of the sobbing, shrieking eight-year-old in her arms. She paused on the porch to adjust the child's weight and to try and quiet her a bit. Shh, 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 child, it's going to be all right. Your mama's going to make it all better real soon. We're at your house now. That's a girl. Be brave now. Shh, shh, shh. Donna Jean's tears turned into big gulps as she realized she was home, but as soon as she saw her mother running to the door, she started wailing again. Oh, my Lord, how did this happen? The girl's mother looked upset, but her movements were surprisingly calm. She took the little girl into her arms and cuddled her as she rushed the child into the house and set her gently on the sofa. Rust-colored blood had stained her apron. It was one of Mr. Crandall's big old hound dogs, Mama. He just came out of nowhere and grabbed up her leg, Sylvia cried. Run, go get me some soap and water, towels from the bathroom, some rubbing alcohol, a bottle of iodine, and a box of gauze strips, Sylvie, her mother said calmly. Sylvia darted off quickly to obey, partly from fear and partly from not wanting to miss one second of this horrible drama that was unfolding in her living room. When she dashed back, her mother was cooing to the little girl. It's all right, baby. It's just a little scratch. But her forehead had wrinkled into a frown as she examined Donna Jean's leg. How did this happen, Bessie? Mrs. Patterson asked her sister. Aunt Bessie sighed deeply as she took the alcohol and bandages from the still trembling Sylvia. I feel like it's my fault, Leola. But how was I to know that Crandall's fool dogs were loose? The girls were just waiting for me by the fence, and the dog tore around the corner like a uh, like a train off the track. He wrapped his jaws around her leg before I could turn around. Oh, Lord. She put her head in her hands. Every colored person in Little Rock, Arkansas, knew all about the Crandall family and their vicious dogs. Mr. Crandall, the owner of a local barber shop, and surely the meanest man in the country, has trained his dogs to attack Negroes. Sometimes he conveniently forgot to tie them up. All his friends probably thought it was really funny, but all the colored people thought it was terrifying. Last year, at least five people, and all of them Negroes, had been bitten by one of his dogs. Crandall's wife, Eileen, was known as the most vocal segregationist in town. She and her friends, 
all of whom wore cat-shaped eyeglasses, Sylvia had noticed, protested vocally when the buses, the police force, and the university had been integrated. They had recently formed something called the Mother's Coalition to prepare for protesting against possible school integration. The Crandalls had two teenage children, a thick-shouldered, crew-cut-wearing son named Johnny, who was an outstanding player on the Central High football team, and a thin, pale daughter named Callie, who mirrored her mother in looks and attitude. Sylvia and the rest of her friends walked to school the long way rather than go past the Crandalls' house. Aunt Bessie should have known better, Sylvia thought angrily. She bit her lip, frustrated with herself as well. I should have known better, too. With its peeling yellow paint and sagging front porch, the Crandall house looked dingy. Mr. Crandall made it just plain frightening. His hair was greased back, and his eyes, even at, his, even at a distance, looked dark and fierce. The local children whispered that he could cast spells with those eyes. Even though Mr. Crandall seemed to wear the same pair of work pants every day, he was known throughout Little Rock for his highly polished, chestnut-brown, double-laced Oxford shoes with metal taps on the toes and heels. Folks said he special-ordered those shoes from Houston, Texas. In addition, he made a point of wearing a clean white dress shirt every day. His wife never ironed them, however. He always hired women like Aunt Bessie to do his shirts. Today, she had taken 25 bright white dress shirts to him, bleached and starched so well they looked like little soldiers. Sylvia watched quietly while her mother worked on her sister, not sure if she should cry or throw up. She took deep breaths of the stuffy air in the living room, but she felt dizzy and enclosed. I just went to deliver his laundry, Aunt Bessie said, weeping, as she helped her sister watch Donna Jean's wounds. Some of the water in the basin, tinged pink with DJ's blood, sloshed onto the carpet as DJ's mother squeezed out the washcloth. Why are you still doing laundry anyway? Sylvia's mother asked angrily. You've got a successful beauty shop. You don't need to be doing this. Bessie nodded her head in agreement. I know, I know, I shouldn't have taken the girls with me, but I'd promised them a treat. You know how much they love Mrs. Zucker's cookies. Donna Jean had stopped screaming and only cried out when they touched a particularly tender area. You know, you're the only colored woman in Little Rock who will still do laundry for that fool, her sister said bitterly. You let him talk to you like you're a child, and he only pays you ten cents a shirt. Sylvia looked up in surprise. Her mother rarely showed anger against anyone, especially her own sister. You used to work for his wife, Aunt Bessie retorted. I went one time. Then, because she treated me like dirt, I refused to go back, like you should have years ago, her mother said flatly. Aunt Bessie's shoulders drooped. She had told the girls to wait for her outside Mr. Crandall's back fence while she collected her $2.50. Mr. Crandall always took a long time because he checked every shirt for brown marks or for water spots before he would pay her. Hateful old man never finds any spots. He just likes to make Aunt Bessie stand there in the cold. Sylvia noticed her hands were squeezed into fists. It was cold, Mama, Sylvia explained quietly. Donna Jean had the jump rope she got for Christmas, and she was jumping a little to keep warm, I guess. Both of us were giggling and acting silly, maybe a little scared, too. Then that dog got loose and headed straight for Donna Jean. I tried to get her out of the way, Mama. Really, I did, but that dog was too fast. Sylvia kept replaying the scene in her mind, trying to figure out how she could have been faster, quicker, smarter, something that might have helped her sister. But superheroes only exist in my comic books, Sylvia thought with a sigh. In real life, innocent children bleed, and people like me just feel guilty and helpless. Her mother reached over and gave Sylvia a hug. It's not your fault, child, she said gently. You did the best you could. Donna Jean is going to be just fine. Sylvia pulled away. But it shouldn't have happened, Mama. What kind of person trains a dog to bite little children? She asked angrily. 
A hateful man is an unhappy man, her mother replied philosophically. Well, I hope he chokes on his misery, Sylvia paced around the small living room, not angled to channel her anger. Donna Jean whimpered softly. It hurts, Mama. I know, baby. Mama's gonna fix it. Lie still now, you hear? Should we take her to the hospital? Sylvia asked, her voice tight. The wounds aren't deep. As long as you don't let them get infected, I think she'll be all right, her mother responded. She was bathing Donna Jean's leg with alcohol, dabbing it with iodine, and wrapping it in clean white gauze. Sylvia felt a little dizzy because of the red iodine made the wound look even bloodier than it really was. Aunt Bessie continued, I dropped the shirts onto the porch and ran screaming toward Donna Jean with the shirt hanger in my hand. I beat that dog off her. Mr. Crandall really started cursing then, Mama, Sylvia explained. He told Aunt Bessie she would have to do every single one of those shirts over again, plus pay for any injuries to his dog. Can you believe that? He can let that dog wash and iron his shirts, Aunt Bessie said angry, angrily. Never again, Leola, never again. For his lazy, busybody wife, Sylvia's mother mumbled, almost to herself. Sylvia couldn't help smiling at the thought of a huge, snarling hound standing in front of an ironing board, calmly pressing shirts. Then the memory of the real dog, teeth bared, its eyes red with rage, sobered her. She told her mother, when Mr. Crandall finally came over to tie up the dog, he said, Stupid gal ought not to rile up good hunting dogs. I believe he was smiling when he said it, Leola, Aunt Bessie said. He and his drinking buddies will have a good laugh about it tonight. Mrs. Patterson's face showed a mixture of sorrow and bitterness, but she made no comment just then. Gary burst through the front door. A cold wind always seemed to follow him, Sylvia thought with a shudder, even when the weather was warm. At seventeen, her brother was tall and thin, with large, slightly crooked teeth, and he wore his hair straightened and slicked back in the style as many of the teenage boys thought made them look good. He took one glance at Donna Jean, the bandages, and the look of defeat on his mother's face, and he cried out, What's going on? Who hurt my baby sister? He clenched his fists. He wore his anger like clothing. She's fine, Gary, his mother said, trying to calm him with her voice. She's had an unfortunate run-in with the dog. One of Crandall's dogs attacked her. Gary looked around wildly, then, in one swift moment, grabbed the poker from the fireplace. It was an accident, Gary. The dog got loose, and Donna Jean got in the way. There's nothing we can do, his mother said, her voice pleading now. He has trained those dogs to attack us, Gary cried. I'll kill it. I swear I'll kill those vicious beasts. Sylvia looked terrified as Gary's anger seemed to dart about the room, looking for ways to escape. Aunt Bessie grabbed his upraised arm and took the poker from him. No, you won't, Gary. Calm down. You'll only bring trouble to this family. Just leave well enough alone. Your sister is not seriously injured. Let it be for now. Gary retorted, no, I can't just let it be. Crandall needs to be punished. How can you live like this, never taking a stand, always letting them hurt you? The Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord, his mother replied quietly. Gary shook his head in disbelief. What about you, Sylvia? Gary asked. Are you going to stay in the amen corner with the old folks, or open your eyes and look to the future? Sylvia blinked, unsure what to say. She remembered her brother as a freckle-faced boy who loved to climb trees who insisted on going to the very top where the branches got thin and he swayed in the wind. To Sylvia, he used to be better than Batman when it came to beating up her imaginary monsters. But this was very real and very scary. I just want things to be like they used to be, Sylvia said helplessly, when we were little and nothing bad could hurt us. You're going to have to get over that and move on, Gary said harshly. He ignored the hurt look on Sylvia's face. He walked over to the sofa then, knelt down, and said gently to his younger sister, 
It won't always be like this, DJ, but I will always protect you, understand? She looked up at him solemnly and nodded. He kissed her on the cheek and walked back out the door, saying nothing more to the rest of them. The door slammed loudly. Sylvia trembled a little as the swirls of his fury seemed to settle on the carpet. They finished tending to Donna Jean without speaking. Finally, when the child was all bandaged, had been given an aspirin and some hot tea to drink, they tucked her in with a warm blanket, and she finally fell asleep. Sylvia's mother and aunt moved to the kitchen table, sipping the cinnamon tea that Sylvia had made for them. Sylvia poured a cup for herself, hoping they would invite her to join him. She was pleased when they nodded in her direction. I worry about Gary, Sylvia's mother said as she sipped her tea. He is angry and impetuous at a time when we need to be patient. The Bible says blessings come to those who wait. Sylvia felt like groaning, but she didn't. She was sick of her mother's Bible verses and platitudes, but she knew better than to say anything. We've been waiting a long time, Leola, Aunt Bessie said. Maybe the young folks have a point. Sylvia wished her mother would be more understanding of Gary's need to fix the world in a hurry. As far as she could tell, not much had been accomplished in Little Rock by waiting. Sylvia's mother ignored her sister and said, and Lester is going to be really upset that his baby girl got hurt. Humph. Angry enough to confront old Crandall, Aunt Bessie said as she flashed her eyes. I doubt it. Probably just pray to himself in a corner like he usually does. Mrs. Patterson got up, walked over to the sink, and began to scrub her favorite iron skillet. Sylvia knew that any time her mother got angry or upset, she'd start cleaning something. Dishes, rugs, walls, anything to channel her emotions. Lester is a good man. Don't belittle his beliefs. Mrs. Patterson replied sharply. If we don't depend on faith, haven't we sunk to the level of people like Crandall? That whole pack of dogs he keeps ought to be shot, Aunt Bessie said angrily. I'm tired of feeling helpless all the time, and praying just isn't enough anymore. Are we going to call the police? Sylvia asked, finally speaking up. She ached to see Mr. Crandall punished, but she didn't look directly at her mother or her aunt as she sipped her tea. We'll let your father decide when she gets home, her mother replied, but I doubt it. They won't do anything to Crandall, and Donna Jean is going to recuperate. So he's just going to get away with this? Sylvia almost choked on her tea. Maybe Gary is right. It's been almost a hundred years since slavery was over. This is 1957, and we shouldn't have to put up with treatment like this. Sylvia couldn't believe she was raising her voice to her mother, and even more, that her mother was letting her do so. They will say it was an accident, Sylvie. Just a case of a dog protecting its property. We have to save our calls to the police for real, life-threatening events. Sylvia, I don't get it, Sylvia cried out to her mother and her aunt. When she thought about her little sister lying there with her leg wrecked up, she understood how Gary wanted to fight rather than pray. Her mother didn't respond, only continued to scrub pots that already gleamed, and Aunt Bessie finished her tea. The kitchen was silent. Finally, Aunt Bessie began to hum, hum an old spiritual that Sylvia heard every Sunday in church. Sylvia's mother joined her gradually, her alto voice low and full of sorrow. Sylvia, feeling unsettled and confused, sat there quietly, picking at the pattern in the tablecloth, listening to their voices drift up like soft smoke. Wednesday, January 2nd, 1957. I love my new diary. Mama seems to know what I need before I even ask. When I looked in my stocking on Christmas morning, there it was, a pale green, leather-looking, gold-trimmed little book with a tiny lock and key. The pages are thin, all clean and smooth with little blue lines just waiting for me. I had planned to fill the first page with lovely words and ideas, but instead I'm forced to write about that dog, that blood, my sister's screams. I hate old Crandall. Is that a sin? I'm sure Daddy would say so. I don't care. 
Crandall needs to be put in a pen full of vicious snakes with poison fangs or something horrible like that. Maybe even wolves or tigers or hyenas, and left there overnight. But maybe not. But I think about it, it's not hatred I feel, but hurt. Why do people have to be so mean? I don't know how adults deal with stuff like this every day. Mama is very proper, which gets her in trouble with white folks sometimes. They say she's putting on airs, but she's really just being herself. She won't go out of the house without her white gloves and a black straw hat. When we take the bus downtown to shop, she makes me wear my white gloves too, even though for the life of me I cannot figure out why we need gloves in the middle of summer. But she says if you think of yourself as a lady, then no matter how the world treats you, you will always know that you are a lady inside. Mr. Crandall's dog didn't care whether Donna Jean was a lady or not. It just saw a little colored girl and jumped on her, the way it had been trained to do. White gloves and thinking like a lady would not have helped. Even Daddy doesn't get much respect. He's so smart he could quote the whole Bible, and his sermons get everyone in church rocking, but nothing outside the church ever changes. White folks like the Crandalls don't care how hard we pray or how loud we scream hallelujah. They still hate us. I need more than hot, sweaty emotion. It's time for something real to happen. This has been Bookmarked. Thanks for listening, and catch you next time. Music provided by Fez Lion Studios. Thank you.